Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Hidden Signs. I'm your host. My name is Jeff Murray. I'm a professor of marketing at the University of Arkansas. Today's episode tackles one of the most important topics in marketing, sign value. This is the first of a two-part series on this topic. In so many ways, sign value fuels our economy. The phrase is synonymous with branding and cuts to the heart of marketing. I have always defined marketing as the discovery and management of meaning. Well, the meaning we work to discover, the meaning that has value, and the meaning that we struggle to manage is symbolic in nature. Here's an interesting thought. If I were to enter the staid and historic halls of academia, the ivory tower, and seek out a semiotics professor, I would probably find a serious philosopher in an English department, buried in books, sheltering in an old leather chair, cluttered office, messy hair, and baggy sweater, with maybe just a hint of the smell of scotch in the air. This person would be consumed with big narratives and maybe less respect for the practical. At the same time, If I were to enter the bright colors and contemporary interior design of an urban advertising firm to seek out a brand manager, I would meet a sharp-dressed creative entrepreneur, an expert in applying practical ideas. And yet, these two individuals, different as they are, the stuffy semiotician and the cutting-edge ad executive, actually have a lot in common. They are both experts in sign value and semiotics. Let's explore this idea. I was trying to think of an intuitive illustration of sign value before I begin to dig into its definition, meaning, and history. And then I remembered the famous paintings of Jackson Pollock, and I thought, bingo. Jackson Pollock was an American painter and a major figure in the abstract expressionist movement. He was born in Wyoming in 1912 and died in New York in 1956. Pollock was most famous for his drip period between 1947 and 1950. You have probably seen his paintings. He would secure an unprimed canvas to the floor of his studio and walk around it dripping paint into a colorful collage. Here is a quote from Pollock. My painting does not come from the easel. I prefer to tack the unstretched canvas to the hard wall or the floor. I need the resistance of a hard surface. On the floor, I am more at ease. I feel near, more part of the painting, since this way I can walk around it work from the four sides and literally be in the painting. I was able to see one of his paintings in person at Crystal Bridges Museum for American Art in Northwest Arkansas. I have to say, they are impressive. Each of his paintings embodies Pollock's troubled narrative, the history of the Expressionist movement, the story of American art, and the birth of post-World War II consumer culture. These stories define more than one generation. 
They help forge identity. History and stories swirl around each painting, creating a unique and creative context. One of his classic drip paintings was sold in 2006 for $140 million. Storytelling and sign value are closely linked. Let's move our story from New York to California. Terry Horton is a 73-year-old former long-haul truck driver who purchased a painting from a thrift store for $5. Terry was thinking that the painting might serve as a nice dartboard. Well, one of her neighbors, a high school art teacher, took a careful look at this thrift store painting and asked, Are you sure that this isn't an original Jackson Pollock? Terry responded, Who the hell is Jackson Pollock? This became the title of a 2006 documentary tracing the intriguing history of this painting purchased for $5. Well, needless to say, the art world shows up on Terry's doorstep. Art historians, experts on Pollock's drip period, museum curators, and perplexed fans of American art. Is the painting real? Well, the jury is still out on this one. Even art experts can't tell the difference between the thrift store painting and an original Jackson Pollock. As a marketing professor, I love this story. Is this the range of sign value? $5 to $140 million? If art experts can't tell the difference, why is the range so large? Why is the original so much more valuable? Well, one reason is because the original embodies the stories I was referring to earlier. The only tangible representation of these unique and incredibly rare stories. Stories that help us understand ourselves and our history. Are the original paintings? If the thrift store painting does not embody or represent these stories then it doesn't share the same sign value. Terry's painting represents a different story. Sure, it is interesting. But is it worth $140 million? This is a great intuitive example. But if we want to apply this concept of sign value to branding, we need to understand its mechanics. And for this, we need to dive into the abstract world of semiotics. Semiotics asks the question, how is meaning constructed? It is the study of signs and symbols. Do you remember the movie, The Da Vinci Code? Tom Hanks plays the character of Professor Robert Langdon, a semiotics professor from Harvard. At the beginning of the movie, Professor Langdon is giving a lecture in a large auditorium on signs and symbols. How do they tell the story of the human condition? What role do they play in our lives? What kinds of secrets and mysteries do they reveal? This is semiotics. Semiotics begins with the question, what is a sign? Well, a sign is a symbol, and a symbol is anything that stands for something else. It represents something. In our earlier example, Pollock's paintings represent rare stories of narrative and culture. 
The great American philosopher and semiotician, Charles Sanders Peirce, sometimes known as the father of a branch of philosophy called pragmatism, believed that signs are composed of three elements. First, there is something that we see, something visual, like some letters forming a word, or hear, something auditory, maybe someone speaking, a siren in the city, or a train in the distance. Peirce called this, something we see or hear, a representament. Think of it as a sign vehicle, something that carries meaning. For example, if you read the word cow, or hear me say cow, that is a representament. As soon as I said cow, you saw a cow in your mind's eye. There was thinking, cognitive activity, a spark of electricity generating meaning. This meaning is the second element of a sign, according to Peirce. He called this the interpretant. So, we turn our attention to something we see or hear, the representament, and that triggers thought, the interpretant. Now, this is what's interesting about Peirce. If I could see all of the images of a cow in all of your mind's eyes out there, I bet they would be remarkably familiar and similar. Why? We are all different people with different experiences. We don't even know each other. Why are they similar? Peirce would say that they are all similar because we have a common reference point, which is the third element of a sign. He called this common reference point the referent, or the object. This is the actual cow walking around in the pasture, chewing its cud with the occasional moo. When we hear the word cow, we think of something very similar, because we have all experienced the real thing, an actual cow. Okay, good. Sketch this out in your journal. We have a triangle. Representament, interpretant, and object, the three elements of a sign. The representament is a word, something we see or hear. The interpretant is meaning, something that we interpret and understand. And the object or referent is the real thing, something that we experience. Earlier, I used the example of hearing a train in the distance. We hear the train in the quiet night air the representament. We think, train, and see one in our mind's eye, the interpretant. And we can communicate with each other about this train because we are all recalling familiar and similar experiences with actual trains, the object or referent. Ferdinand de Saussure, a Swiss semiotician who lived around the same time as Peirce, born in 1857 and died in 1913, asked an interesting question. What if the representament was an object rather than a word? Let's use an example from episode one, a necktie. We don't read a word or hear someone say something. We just see an object in context. In this case, for our example, a necktie. 
Thinking back to Persis' three elements of a sign, representament, interpretant, and object. If the representament is an object, a necktie, then what is the referent or common reference point? Sashur would say that the necktie is repeated. It is also the referent or common reference point. This makes sense. The representament is the tie. The interpretant is what the necktie represents, the meaning of the tie. And the referent or object is again the tie. So, if it is repeated, we don't really need it, right? Because of this, Sashur proposed that a sign consists of not three, but two elements. He called these elements the signifier, what Peirce called the representament, and the signified, what Peirce called the interpretant. Now, draw this out in your journal. Instead of a triangle, we have a line with endpoints. The signifier, an object, and the signified, the meaning of the object. Okay, we are building a foundation to understand this concept, sign value. The object represents something else. It is a sign or symbol. If that something else has value, we have sign value. Let's continue. De Sassure loses the referent or the object, and therefore the common reference point. Remember the reason that the image of a cow was similar across our mind's eyes was because we shared a common reference point. This common reference point anchored meaning for us, creating an inter-subjectivity, something that we all shared. What happens if we lose the anchor? The signifier is no longer connected to something stable outside of our minds. It is just floating around, a floating signifier. Meaning now becomes much less stable. It will depend on the context itself. Think of Annie Hall's necktie from episode 1. I was using this as an illustration of code mixing. Annie Hall's style was bringing together signs that are not normally seen together. It was the context that created the mixing and the meaning, a creative expression. Or, think of my opening illustration in this episode. The stodgy, ruffled Ivy League semiotician has a wrinkled, loosened tie with their baggy sweater. And the ad executive has a tailored, well-pressed white shirt with a silk tie and a near-perfect full Windsor. Two neckties, but completely different meanings. Meaning now comes from the cultural context. And it also comes from our experiences and memories with these contexts. So... We can say that cultural contexts embody stories, just as the two Jackson Pollock paintings embody different stories. Sign value is all about a subtle form of storytelling. With floating signifiers, we still share understanding, but the potential range of meaning increases. It is this range of meaning that also has the potential to destabilize or fragment meaning In other words, one object can represent many different things, depending upon the context and the interpretation of the participants. And these representations, 
or meanings can be so subtle, so taken for granted. They're hidden signs. Think about jeans. We all wear them, and we probably have one pair that is our favorite. This favorite pair is probably a bit worn out, has been a companion along the way, shared our journey through good times and bad. If these jeans could only talk, you would hear some stories. If you go to any website to buy jeans, whether it is J. Crew, Banana Republic, Citizens of Humanity, or Devil Dog Dungarees, distressed jeans are more expensive. Distressed means essentially that the jeans are worn out. Use value is less. They have frayed hems, worn pockets, and stringy holes. Yet, they are more expensive. Exchange value has increased. Why? Well, because these frayed holes tell a story. Just like your favorite worn-out pair that you can't part with. The holes have sign value. Interestingly, this distressed sign system is pre-discursive, making it a hidden sign. Pre-discursive means that the sign has not been raised to a level of discursive awareness. You are probably thinking, yes, but if you buy the distressed look, does it still embody stories? Is this a staged sign value? If sign value is all about representations of stories, can you buy them? Well, this is the point of a floating signifier. Does it really matter? Maybe what matters to the consumer is how they are managing and constructing their identity with sign value. Impression management. Okay, we have a good start on understanding sign value, an important and somewhat elusive concept in marketing. We talked about some intuitive illustrations and then discussed how the concept ultimately is rooted in the discipline of semiotics. Charles Sanders Peirce and Ferdinand de Saussure helped us begin to understand the mechanics of semiotics. In the next episode, we will begin by stepping back in time to the late 13th century medieval and Renaissance Europe. We are going back in time to search for the roots of sign value. I hope that you enjoyed this episode on sign value. This is Hidden Science. My name is Jeff Murray. Special thanks to Seth Murray for composing original music for this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.